Evidence and Answers. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucrin. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics. The defense of the Christian faith, rape is a terrible crime, and victims suffer from the horror of their ordeal for many years. Imagine if you were a victim of this horrible crime, but you also found yourself pregnant as a result. Would you choose to carry this child, or would you choose abortion? That is the situation that Suzanne Maurer found herself in as a young woman. Listen today as Pat Zucrin interviews Suzanne and hear her gripping story as she describes her ordeal and how God brought healing and hope that overcame her darkest days. This entire interview, along with other inspiring interviews, is available at evidenceandanswers.org. I'm sure you're going to find this show inspiring and moving. So let's join Pat now with his guest, Suzanne Maurer. Every 23 seconds in America today, a baby's life is taken through the act of abortion. The experience of abortion has resulted in the genocide of a generation of babies here in America. In fact, one-third of the future generation has been taken because of this epidemic of abortion. Aloha, my name is David Cordero. I am the host of the Bible Institute radio broadcast, and today you're going to be richly blessed as we talk about this subject of abortion. In studio, I have a noted commentator, Dr. Patrick Zucran. He's a defender of Christian principles and values. I'm so glad to have him here in studio today. Good to have you here, Pat. Great to be here, David. And we have a special guest, Miss Suzanne Maurer. Good to have you, Suzanne. Aloha, David. Thank you. And today, you guys, I'm so glad that you're tuned in. I think you need to turn up the volume. You need to stay tuned in throughout this whole broadcast because I think you're going to be encouraged by the God story of Suzanne Maurer. And today, I'm going to take a back seat. I'm going to pass it this broadcast to Dr. Zucran, and he's going to talk a little bit about the topic of abortion, and then you're going to hear Suzanne's story. Without further ado, all right, Pat, take it away. Thanks, David. You know, when it comes to the debate on abortion, we definitely defend the right to life. According to the Bible, life begins at conception, and there's good biblical arguments for that. Exodus 21, Psalm 51, Psalm 139, Luke chapter 1. And for a more extensive treatment, I recommend that you go to evidenceandanswers.org and listen to our shows on that. But not only do we have good biblical arguments, there are also good medical arguments, good philosophical arguments, and legal arguments as well. However, you often hear the argument from pro-abortion groups, what about cases of rape and incest? How could you force a mother to raise the child of her rapist? Or it's cruel to bring an unwanted child into the world. Well, we have with us a very special guest today who has gone through this experience and this woman has the courage to share her story with us today mrs suzanne mauer welcome to the show suzanne aloha pat mahalo for having me well suzanne let's begin with you telling us a little bit about your background where were you born and raised and what kind of spiritual background did you grow up in i was born and raised in salem oregon and i define it as being raised in a church attending family we went to church every sunday I loved God, but I had him tucked up on a shelf, and I'd call him down if there was a real need, but unfortunately, most of the time, I thought I could do it myself. To me, Jesus was a baby in the manger. I had no idea. I didn't even understand the Trinity. So there I was, going to church, checking it off each Sunday, 
but no understanding of a personal relationship with Christ. Well, in your teenage years, you were the victim of a horrific incident which turned your life upside down. Tell us about that incident. Well, I had dated this young man in high school on and off for a couple of years, and believe it or not, in the 1960s, there was a very definitive line drawn in the sand, and sexually, you didn't cross that line, and I didn't. And then uh, when I went off to college at Oregon State, just 35 miles away, I tried to break up with him, but he really genuinely cared for me, and so I saw him perhaps four or five times during the year he'd drive down, and then when I went home for the summer, I said, this is it. We're not going to see each other anymore. It's not good for you. It's not good for me, and I just need to get on with my life and you with yours, and he said, okay, and so all through the summer, all through the fall, I didn't see him. I didn't hear from him. And then on Christmas Eve of 1960, our family always gathered at a Hanai family home that had taken us in, in Oregon, and they weren't Hawaiian, but they uh, just adopted our family, and so he knew exactly where I was on Christmas Eve. And I grew up in a home where there was social drinking, but I didn't drink. Neither my sister or I chose to drink, and so I had no experience with alcohol, and that Christmas Eve... Some of the older kids at that family gathering put together a drink called a scorpion. And it was in a sterling silver bowl with a straw. And it was five different liquors. And I thought it was the hottest fruit punch I'd ever tasted. But I was trying to be a good sport and go along with it. But unfortunately, with zero experience with alcohol, I actually got drunk very, very quickly. And interestingly, who showed up to wish me a Merry Christmas and was brought into the upstairs room where we all were, but my ex-boyfriend. And the older guys in the family, my Hanai cousin said, boy, are we glad to see you. Will you take her down the back steps and get her home? Because we don't want her parents to see her. And he did, and I got in the car, but instead of taking me home, he took me to his apartment where I had never been. I didn't even know he had one. And remember, this is a young man that knew I never had had any alcohol, And he sat me down on the foot of his bed, and he said, you need some food. I'm going to go get some food. And I actually woke up with him shaking my shoulders, saying, wake up, wake up, I've gone too far. And while I was passed out cold on that bed, he had had intercourse with me. And the amazing thing to me was, I got pregnant. And honestly, I didn't even know that was humanly possible. I've since found out it's all too possible with many, many women, but... Here I was, I'd gone back to Oregon State, I uh, found out that I was pregnant, and my father was an undefeated politician in the state of Oregon. He, when he died, he was recognized as Mr. Salem, Oregon. And so I knew that for my family, this would be a disgrace that I couldn't take home to them. So I tried to hang myself from the fire escape of the Kappa House at Oregon State. Well, fortunately, thank you, I couldn't tie a knot. So I spent two days uh, with my face in the tile wall of the bathroom on the second floor of that Kappa house, just crying and crying and crying. Finally, I had to call that young man and say, come and get me. Bring a pickup. I've got to go home. I'm pregnant. So he got me. He took me home. And when he dropped me off in the driveway, I said to him, you cannot come in. What you have done to me is unconscionable, and I will never see you again as long as I live. And he didn't even argue with it. He just 
he said he was sorry, and off he drove, and I went in, and my mother and father were absolutely devastated. My father blamed my mother that she had raised a tramp, and my mother cried silent tears, and I just went into my bedroom. That was on a Monday night. I stayed in my room, and unless you've been in the type of shock I was in, you probably can't really understand it, but I was just existing. I guess I ate, and I just stayed in my room and cried. On Thursday morning, my parents came to me and said, Suzanne, we're going to go for a little drive, and we'd like you to come with us. And so I dutifully got in the car in the back seat, and we ended up about 50 miles away in Lake Grove, Oregon, a little town outside of Portland. And I found myself in a chair with my father on my right and my mother on his right, sitting across from a pastor. And in my state of shock, I was just there until I heard the word adoption. And I said, Dad, Mom, what are we doing here? What are you talking about adoption? And my wonderful, wonderful dad said, Well, Suzanne, sweetheart, Reverend Russell and his wife are going to adopt your baby. And I said, Dad, you haven't even talked to me about this. You haven't said anything to me about this. I'm not going to give my child up for adoption. And my wonderful dad said, what are you going to do? And I said, I've dropped out of college. I'm going to get a job. And he said, Suzanne, do you see that door over there? And it was the door outside. And I said, yes. And he said, you have two choices. You can either walk through that door and never look back, and we will never see you again or you can be married. And two days later, I was married to that boy that I was never going to see again as long as I lived in that pastor's office. Oh, Suzanne, that's quite a powerful story there. You know, how were you able to forgive your rapist and work through that whole situation, and also your parents? Pat, thank you for bringing that up. Because it took years and years and years before I dealt with that forgiveness. Remember, I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know to cry out to him. First of all, I was terrified of God. My life was destroyed. I was having the time of my life in college. I loved it. I had plans, and it was all gone. So I thought, what had I done that this God that I loved would allow this? And then I went through a period of time where I was very terrified. I was terrified of God that this could have happened. But it's not my reaching out to God. It's our God holding me. Jesus just holding me in his arms of love and carrying me through that time. And I want to just go on, and I will have to tell you about the forgiveness 20 years later when I came to know Jesus personally. But let me just say that after about four and a half years of a very difficult marriage, I didn't want an only child. And so I took a deep breath and said, do you think we could have another child? And you have to understand, that was extraordinarily hard for me. And he said, yes. And by God's grace, I got pregnant very, very quickly. And when my second son was born, my husband was gone. He had left us. He didn't think that this would happen so quickly. And so he abandoned us. And so after our second son was born, I did get a divorce. However, when Darren was 20 months old, I went back to college. And so two weeks before our second son was born, I graduated from college with a teaching degree. I think what I have to say about my parents is I had so devastated them 
that it wasn't even a matter at that time of forgiveness to them. I even had to forgive myself, you know, in time. Forgiveness is a big part of this story. But I was so busy just trying to exist and make my life work. But interestingly, when I did end up divorcing, my father's words, his first words were, thank God, I'm so sorry. And he was genuinely sorry for what he'd caused. Years later, I found out that my father had asked our family doctor to do an abortion. And the doctor, 1961 now, the doctor said, we don't do abortions. Absolutely not. And so one of the things I want to share in my testimony today is I really believe that if abortion had been legal in 1961, my father would have forced me any way possible to have an abortion. And if I wouldn't do it medically, if the pill were available, I think he would have found a way for me to take it. So I'm just fanatical against legalized abortion. So if let me pick up on how I got to know Jesus, and that'll cover the forgiveness, if I may. Absolutely. Go right ahead. I need you all to uh, fast forward 20 years from Darren's birth. Our son's name was Darren. And for my 40th birthday, he gave me a beautiful Bible. But the night before my birthday, Darren and I just happened to be home alone. By God's grace, I should tell you that uh, the Lord brought me to Hawaii uh, years, well, in 1968, forgive that little pause, but in 1967, and I met my husband of now 44 years. I met a wonderful man, and he married me. He adopted my two sons. We then went on to have a son and a daughter, and God has just blessed me throughout my life, even before I knew that he was the one bringing all the blessings. So for my 40th birthday, Darren had uh, bought this Bible for me. And when he was a little boy, I wrote to Ann Landers. And some of you aren't old enough to remember typewriters. But Ann Landers sent me a typewritten note that said, I asked her, how and when shall I tell my son about his conception? That was a concern to me. That worried me. And she wrote back and she said, Dear Suzanne, you will know how and when at the right time. Good luck, dear. That wasn't real helpful, but no, it wasn't. <laughs> the night before my 40th birthday, again, I hope you're hearing Jesus in everything I say, because he's behind all of it. And so he ordained that that night, Darren and I would be home alone. Darren had come to Christ at Stanford University, and that's a fun story if we have time for later. But he came home from his freshman year in college at Stanford and announced he was born again. And I looked at that six-foot boy and said, Darren, I borned you. What on earth are you talking about? And so for my birthday, he bought me the Bible. But the night before, I shared with him about his conception. And he said, you know, Mom, you've never talked about my dad. I don't have any pictures. But he said, I want you to know that you're going to get a gift tomorrow that's going to help you understand everything. And I thought, wow. <laughs> That wasn't difficult at all. He's so peaceful. What's this all about? And then the very next day, I opened the New American Standard Study Bible, a beautiful Bible. 
And the Holy Spirit wrote a beautiful note through Darren in the Bible. And the gift of that Bible changed my life forever because I had no idea that I could know Jesus personally and he could live in my heart forever. You know, Suzanne, after your son Darren was born, when you looked into his face, did you see the face of your rapist or did you see someone else? You know, honestly, I didn't. I had dated him in high school and I think that through my guilt and and just my absolute terror over the whole thing, my life was so focused on finding normalcy. And I can say honestly, I was so determined to make this marriage work and to give a sense of peace to my parents that I didn't struggle with hate or bitterness. And by God's grace, that's not my heart anyway. I've been blessed with a very loving heart. And to God be the glory. It's not me. It's Jesus in me. So even then, when I didn't know him personally, I didn't really struggle with that. But it was very, very hard. But honestly, I felt, I did feel guilt. And that's what I had to later forgive myself for. I felt guilty that I had taken that drink, that I had positioned myself. And another thing that I struggled with is my parents didn't give me any education as a teenager about dating or anything. And I had a resentment for that because I really think that had they done a better job of preparing me for the world out there, I was very naive. And uh, so I had to struggle through that. So later in life, actually through a friend of Bible Institute of Hawaii, Rod Franklin, Rod helped me really turn to Jesus and go through the forgiving process, first of myself, and then of this uh, boy that had date raped me, then of my parents. And he's brought me full circle. But it took a Christian man like Rod Franklin taking me to the Word of God and teaching me of the forgiveness I receive every single second from a sinless Lord who died for me. Um, So that's what it took for me to really address it. And I feel strongly about uh, girls that go through any type of unwanted pregnancy or have had an abortion and have to deal with that they really need to get good Christian counseling, and it's available. Yes, you know, we're talking a little bit about abortion here. Abortion just doesn't, as your story reflects, affect the girl who is pregnant. It affects dozens of other people as well, doesn't it? It does, and let me share one more precious story. That second son, when he was born, about 20 years ago now, when he was 25 or 26, I had the honor of speaking at an international women's conference on the right to life. And when I speak publicly, I invite my kids, but I really don't expect them to come. You only need to hear the story once. But Rick had never heard the story. And when I got up to speak at this ballroom at the Hilton Hawaiian Village, I looked in the back and thought, that looks like my son Rick. Sure enough, it was. After my talk and I gave my whole testimony, I went and sat with him and he'd given me a lay and he said, Mom, you've never told me that story. And I said, you know, I know, Mom, that's an important story. And I said, I know, Rick, Mom, I'm a woman's liver. It's a woman's body. It's her right. 
And I said, oh, no, Rick. And I actually cupped his face in my hands. I said, Rick, he said, Mom, think about this. If you'd have had an abortion, I wouldn't be here. And I had never thought of it from his perspective. There is a ripple effect that affects lots of people. And I'm glad you're bringing that up. Yes, you know, and I know your son, Darren, were classmates there at Dallas Theological Seminary. He won the Evangelism Award, and the world is a better place because he's here. Imagine all the people who would not have heard the gospel had you chosen or done abortion back then. The world would be a much, it's a much richer place because he is here. Tell us about him a little bit. Well, it really is fun. Thanks, Pat, because he really is. In fact, he ended up, he graduated from Stanford. He made the Stanford basketball team as a walk-on for two years, and God put him on that team. 25 young men tried out, and he was the only one that made it. And he had come to Christ through Campus Crusade, and so he actually challenged God. (laughs) I don't recommend that. But he went to the Stanford Chapel and knelt down and said, God, I don't even know if you're real. I don't know if you exist, and I've sure put you on the back burner, but I'd like to make you a deal. If I make the standard basketball team, I'll give you all the credit. And then he he came to Christ from that before he finished his freshman year. And as uh, a new Christian, he said, I'll not only give you all the credit, I'll serve you all my life. And he was the only one that made the team. And he knew that Jesus had put him on that team. And he actually shared with many of his teammates and his evangelism started right there at Stanford. So he played as a walk on two years, then uh, earned a full scholarship, graduated in engineering, worked one year in engineering, but God had captured his heart and he came home and said, I've got to serve the Lord. So he went with the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ for 20 years and was uh, in Yugoslavia for a year, then came back and went to Dallas Seminary for four years and loved every day of it, and then uh, went to Rice in Houston and served out Campus Crusade there for 11 years. And then in his 40s, some businessmen approached him and said they thought it was time for him to start ministering to businessmen. And so they set up Lagos Leaders Outreach, and it's a ministry where Darren meets one-on-one with businessmen during the week, and he takes them to the Word of God, and he teaches them the value of being in the Word daily, studying the Word, knowing the Word, and then trains them to go out and mentor others so that it's um, a growing ministry. And honestly, by God's grace, Darren has been privileged to be the person of hundreds of people that have come to know Jesus. And Well, Suzanne, Darren went to high school with someone who's quite famous and actually got to share the Lord with this person. Who is this person? And and tell us about this experience. Well, it's really fun. Uh, Darren was the last one cut his sophomore year in high school, the Punahou basketball team. And it was the best thing that ever happened to him. But junior, senior year, he made the team, but he didn't play. And his teammate, Barry Obama, it was only Barry then, we didn't know a Barack, they sat on the far left end of the bench, and they were just the salt and pepper of Punahou. Darren had a Howley afro. Barry had his afro. And because they didn't get to play in the games, very rarely, Darren had a VW van. 
and Barry didn't have a car, and so they would tool around to Palama Settlement, Clum Gym, any place they could find a, a basketball game. And they became very good friends and very good basketball buddies at Punahou. And then, you know, they were second in the state junior year, state champs senior year, so they played with some real talented guys. And at graduation, they wrote in each other's annuals that they wanted to stay in touch, and Barry went off to Occidental, and Darren went to Stanford, but they didn't ever connect again until Barry was running for the presidency and he came to Houston. And so Darren had the opportunity to go to uh, one of his fundraisers and it was almost surreal for Darren. As soon as Barry saw him, he threw his arms in the air and he says, my man, Mauer, give me a hug. And they had a great hug and a great visit. So then when Barry was uh, elected in the first election, I sent Darren to his inauguration because I didn't think he'd have a chance to see the president, but I knew there'd be a lot of Punahou people there. And sure enough, the night before the inauguration, there were about 150 Punahou alumni, and Darren just worked the room for Jesus. And one of the people there was uh, Greg Orm, who played on the team with them. And so the next December, the first year of uh, Barry's being in office, in Houston, Darren got an email possible game Friday, Hawaii, be there. This was Tuesday in Houston. <laughs> and so some wonderful things the Lord put together enabled him to get on a plane. And so on a New Year's Day uh, of that next year, I think it was 2010, they played uh, two hours of basketball together at the Kaneohe Marine Base. This concludes part one of Pat's interview with Suzanne Maurer. If you missed any part of this interview, log on at evidenceandanswers.org and you can listen to this entire interview and enjoy other great interviews and resources right there on the site. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Suzanne's story, please support the show and Pat's ministry in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. I hope you'll be with us next week as Pat presents part two of this interview with Suzanne Maurer. Join us right here for more evidence and answers. <laughs>